0: Uh, I should give a quick biographical sketch. I'm afraid I don't have any prepared remarks, so I'm just going to have to extemporise. The good news is I'll probably be quite brief as a result. Uh, my name is Jason Walsh. I've been a journalist for about 13 years. Um, in most of that time, uh, for most of the time, I have worked up to a point as a foreign correspondent, primarily from Ireland, ironically enough. Uh, what that has meant for me is that I have developed very few relationships in the Irish press and I've tended to focus my work on the United States, the UK and mainland Europe. Um, I've contributed to El Mundo, El Independiente, The Guardian, The Independent, The Spectator, Washington Times, Christian Science Monitor, God Knows the Alaska Dispatch, you know, a- a- any any sort of paper I can think of I can list them out. Um, I will say however that in that time I have rarely made my entire income from foreign correspondence um, I have tended to fall back on a specialism which that I don't particularly enjoy but has served me well which has been writing technology news mm. and I would say that that's a very important thing to to understand because if you're writing about Ireland for foreign audiences the first thing is they don't know it's a country they don't care that it's a country and they have absolutely no interest in it. So I'll give you an anecdote from my real life. Uh, on the day after the Brexit vote, I went down to the cafe opposite my apartment in Paris, and I saw the grinning, gurning face of a close friend of mine who's the retired former editor of one of France's main newspapers. And when I say editor, I don't mean an editor. I mean the redacteur en chef. And he said, so finally, we will get to deport you? <laughs> no, obviously, he's just messing me around. So we had a, a joke about it, but it It came to me that he didn't realise that Ireland was a sovereign country. So I started asking people, other journalists, French journalists, ordinary people. Of all the French people I, at that point, knew, only two knew that Ireland was a country and they had both met and got married in Belfast. So, (laughs) when I worked for an American newspaper, they took over 150 stories from me in a number of years, which was a hell of a lot, and that only happened... Because, and, you know, you could say, if you know the newspaper, the Christian Science Monitor, it's based in Boston. Oh, well, the Boston Irish. Well, listen, let me tell you, the Christian Science Monitor has nothing to do with the Boston Irish. I got work into that paper because I developed good relationships with a succession of desk editors, um, people who were working the Europe desk, and so on and so forth. Uh, they took all of the hardy perennials, clerical sex abuse, uh, Discussion of abortion, IRA, all of that kind of stuff. But they also took stuff you wouldn't expect them to take. Trivial things. GA All-Ireland Final, which I just thought was interesting that Europe's largest amateur sport event might interest an American audience. Things like, uh, off the top of my head, I wrote a piece about how St. Patrick's Day wasn't a big deal when I was a kid and I considered it an American import. Um, uh, The Irish mint, minting a James Joyce coin, I can't remember if it was flawed or not. But because I had a decent relationship with the editor, they thought they were interesting, they were willing to listen. If you do get into American newspapers, second-tier newspapers, I, I, I presume the days of the New York Times paying you in, in diamonds are over, but I wouldn't know. But in the second-tier U.S. newspapers, don't expect more than $299 because you're not getting it. When you work for the websites of magazines, beware, you are not going to get a lot of money. Some of the magazines that would have been notorious for paying enormous amounts of money um, are only paying $200 $250 for for a web story. Uh, The reason for that is they were previously publishing 10 stories a week, 10 stories a month, now they're publishing 10 to 15 a day. Uh, That's why they're not going to pay you much. (coughs) Um, In the last year, uh, oh sorry, I should say, there's also a lot of the traditional markets for stringers are starting to decline as well. Um, for example, uh, one of the hardy perennials that people like me used to rely on was pitching to English-language newspapers in non-English-speaking countries. Daily Star and Beirut would be a good example. but One that I recently pitched to just last year, the Buenos Aires Herald, closed about a week after I pitched to it. I don't know if there's any connection. But, uh, <laughs> If you're going to go abroad like I did, don't go to France, don't go to Germany, don't go to Italy, don't go to anywhere that anyone knows. I had my own reasons for going to France that had nothing to do with journalism, nothing to do with my career. Um, The newspapers already have their staff there. Uh, they, They have correspondence you're not going to get work out of those countries. You might get a couple of second string bits and pieces, but you're not going to get a job. Learn Arabic and go to the Middle East, sure, or maybe try your luck in South America or something like that. You might get stories, but you need to develop the relationships first. And I think this is the most important thing. I don't really pitch that much anymore, partly because I'm overworked as it is, and not necessarily. that's not necessarily a good thing. Because as I say, only about half of my work last year was what I would call legitimate foreign correspondence a little bit more the year before Uh, this year so far I've done one thing for television and I think I probably did that in December I have done other work but it's it's just stuff I'm doing to pay the bills which is okay you gotta pay the bills but I don't really pitch that much because I've developed a lot of relationships and and it takes a long time and you know you as soon as you have a relationship with these people you're going because you know speaking for myself, I, I, I come from a position where I didn't know people, I mean, going to those people and, 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 and you c- you can move out from there and, and see who they know and who they think would be interested. So, you know, if you have a conversational relationship, if you can get into the position where you can have a conversational relationship with an editor, even via email, which is increasingly difficult because people are so harried and pressed, um, they might say to you, look, okay, we, we, we can't take that story, but have you thought about X, Y, and Z and so on and so forth. So in the, in the last uh, year or 18 months, I started Working for the Straits Times in Singapore. I've never been to Singapore in my life, but I got that connection through an editor. Um, I appear regularly on WDL in Delaware. Never been to Delaware. Same editor gave me that connection. Um, so you, you do have to maintain these connections, um, and I, I, you know, you don't, you can't work them. Uh, you genuinely have to try and develop some kind of friendly relationship. Stories are what matter, of course, at the end of the day, um, and they will always take a good story. The problem is, as I said, they don't even recognize that Ireland exists. They probably think it's Scotland. Most people seem to. Um, and I'm, I, People laugh at this or sometimes get offended, but I, I'm telling you it is the truth. No one knows this country exists. It's, it is a Thank shock. Um, so if you're going to sell them a story about Ireland, it's gotta, the, the first thing is it's got to be something that's catching their attention, whether it's something that's very dramatic or whether something very unexpected and unusual. One of the problems of course is that a lot of these newspapers have cut back so badly on foreign coverage um, most of them don't even have bureaus anymore at all, uh, they just take wire. Um, the stories are often reported from London or they're reported from a desk in America somewhere, misreported usually, mm-hmm. uh, v- viewed through a cliche of Ireland 30 or 40 years ago, um, have very little relationship to lived experience in Ireland. I think if you're going to do, so, I mean, there's going to be a flurry of stories now about abortion because of the referendum. So you're going to see, if you bother reading the American papers, you're going to see vast amounts of misreporting on this issue, um, just as you've seen other questions like Brexit in the UK. Um, people come to these things with their prejudices. Um, they may not care enough to want to actually hear the the, the actual experience of of what it, you know what the referendum is going to be like in Ireland, what public opinion is going to be like, how public opinion has changed. But that's your job, you have to convince them um, that there's actually a story there that's not being reported. And that is one way to get in. Just say, look, I don't think that the coverage has been very good, Now, I, I wouldn't go in as bluntly as that, but um, I remember one story, for example, where the New York Times a number of years ago had a different correspondent covering Ireland, um, and it, re- it said that Jerry Adams was a leader of the official IRA, <laughs> <laughs> which came as a shock to me. <laughs> Obviously, you can see how that error happened, um, but it shouldn't have, and it wouldn't have if an Irish person had been writing that story, or if someone who's based in Ireland had been writing that story. That story came out of Lumpen, the London Bureau at the time. Anyway, um, I hope that's not just a strange ramble, but I'll leave it at that. Okay, thank you.